Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to discuss a trend that really took root many decades ago, and it continues to be a front-burner topic for those of us who want to increase our productivity, have a fulfilling life, and achieve work-life balance overall. I'm speaking about the effort to help us use our time wisely and effectively. To help us do that, we've brought on an expert whose recent book is devoted entirely to that topic. She is Karen Tiber Leland. Karen Tiber Leland is the founder of Sterling Marketing Group, a branding and marketing strategy and implementation firm specializing in personal, business, and CEO branding. Karen has worked in more than 50 countries with clients such as LinkedIn, Capital One, Google, Apple, Avis Car Rental, FedEx, and Pfizer. She is the best-selling author of 10 books which have sold more than 400,000 copies. Her latest are The Brand Mapping Strategy, Design, Build, and Accelerate Your Brand, and the one we'll focus on today, No Nonsense Time Management, 50 Ways to Hack Your Time and Get Everything Done. Karen writes regularly for Inc.com, Entrepreneur.com, and others. Karen has been interviewed by The Today Show, CNN, Fox News, and Oprah. Karen is a certified YPO speaker and has also presented at TEDx, Harvard, the American Marketing Association, Stanford, and Yale. More information is available at her website, www.karenleland.com. Well, welcome to Looking Forward, Karen. Thank you, Jeff. I'm so delighted that you invited me to be here. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here. Karen, I must say you have such an impressive background. You've been involved in many things. You've written many books. I know you've been involved with branding and marketing and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of curious about your background in terms of how you got involved in time management, which is what we're going to focus on today. And also for the benefit of our listeners, if you could share a little bit more than what I said in your intro about yourself. Sure. Well, you know, I started out as a management consultant and I ran a management consulting firm. And at one point, my business partner and I started writing books and he turned to me one day and he said, "Okay, you're in charge of the branding and the marketing. And I was like, but I don't know anything about that. And he's like, "Okay, (laughs) but you better learn. And this was just at the beginning of social media. Blogging was getting really popular. And so I really had the benefit of being able to start learning that at the very beginning. And so my background is this weird combination of management consulting combined with branding and marketing. I was also in charge of the PR for our company combined with writing. And so I just happen to have a weird set of skills that are useful in the world that we live in today. But interestingly enough, one of the books that we wrote was a book on time management. 
So that's sort of how I got involved in that in that field. And I, and I know you and I have talked about this, but I think that I call it making time for marketing. I think that one of the issues I absolutely see when I work with people on their branding and their marketing, especially small businesses or mid-cap businesses, growing companies, personal brands, is people don't actually feel like they have the time to do the work on their branding and marketing that they really need to. Now, is that in one sense the impetus for why you wrote this book? Well, the truth is, I'm going to tell you the truth because you're such a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> My listeners are nice listeners too. <laughs> yeah. The truth is, is that this book, the publisher came to my former business partner, Keith and I, and he said, look, you guys have a time management book that you wrote with us a number of years ago. It still sells really well, but we think it needs to be updated. What if you change, you know, 40% of the content, update it for the modern times we live in, and we'll republish it under a new a new title. So that's really why I decided to do the book was because the publisher came to me and said, hey, let's update it. And in fact, when I looked at the book, the funny thing was there was maybe two or four pages out of 30,000 words on email and things like that. And of course, when we redid the book, we added all the stuff about how you manage time in terms of video conferencing. I mean, I just really saw how much the world has changed based on updating that book. It was kind of fascinating, actually. I'm nodding my head because email has just become so predominant in our communication culture and time management always seems to get involved with any discussion about how do you handle your email. And we will get to that. I've heard recently, Karen, some experts who say there's no such thing as time management, which is to say that they believe that time is not something you can manage. How would you respond to that? Well, I mean, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, we've been saying that, Keith and I were saying that for a long time, which is that you, and this is the pattern I think it follows. You know, you can't really manage time. I think when everybody punched the time clock and you all went, everybody went to work at the same time and you worked a certain amount of hours, I think maybe you could manage time. But I think what happened in the last 20 years was that things have changed and it isn't so much about managing time as it became about managing energy right? Because people worked in different ways. Yes. But now with, and I, all I think, by the way, COVID did, all I think COVID did was accelerate some paths we were already on. I don't think COVID, although obviously there have been some amazing and major changes from COVID in terms of how we work. I don't think that, I think a lot of them were just accelerate. I think COVID was an accelerant for a lot of those things, such as people working from home, people working more flexible hours, so I'm not even sure that our energy is what we manage as much anymore, as I think it's what we're really learning to manage or not is our focus. That's really what I think people are challenged with learning to manage these days is their focus. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard some discussions about that recently. I think I heard a TED talk the other day where a guy was talking and it was probably a few years ago, but he was all about focus. And I said, yes, that's a challenge for me. Now, it's a challenge for everyone. It's a challenge for everyone, yes. Looking forward, as I think you know, Karen, is not just about people who live in the United States and trends that involve the United States. And so it's in that context I'd like to ask you, how much would you say the people in the United States look at and manage their time in a way that differs from the way people in other developed societies do? 
Well, I've had the privilege of working in over 50 different countries. So I, I think I have a pretty good sense of this. And of course, there's always a cultural context to time. You know, if you think about like when I've done work, I've done a lot of work in France, for example, and they will, you know, it's like you think about France and you think about the amount of time that a lunch hour takes or the way people relate to time. It's very, very different than how we relate to it. So I think there's always a cultural context to how people relate to time. I'll tell you a very funny story. I was in Switzerland once doing some work and I would go to the office and every day we'd take a break at, you know, 1230 and I'd go to the window and I'd look out the window and I'd take my little cup of coffee, my little, you know, little cookie, and I'd go to the window and I'd look out for the break. This is in Switzerland. And every day, 1230 on the dot outside the window, the sprinklers went on. Okay. And then maybe the third or the fourth day I was there, it was raining. And we took our break at 1230 and I got my little cookie and my little biscuit and I went to the window. And sure enough, 1230 right on the dot, the sprinklers came on. <laughs> okay. And I said to the person I was with, it's raining. Why are the sprinklers on? And he goes, because it's 1230. And there's a reason that they talk about us running like a Swiss watch. Yes. So I think the relationship with time also is contextual to some degree. However, in my experience working around the world, and I still work around the world, I just do it by, I do it a lot more by phone right now because of COVID and by video. In my experience, People all over the world are struggling with distraction and with focus just because of the nature of the world we live in. And there are some definite differences, culturally, contextually differences in how people relate to time. I guess my follow-up question would be, from your experience, having worked in 50 different countries, would you say that people in other countries are a little less stressed about time? And I know that's a rash generalization, Karen. Switzerland, obviously, everything's by the clock, right? So maybe they're more stressed. But what do you see as the difference? Are, are we more concerned or less concerned? I or think it, it depends on the country. Okay. I really do. Now, I think Americans have a particular, we, we have a lot going on. We have a lot of ways to distract ourselves as Americans. We have social, we have, to, we have a lot of stuff going on. So I think in general, Americans are extremely highly distracted and that's not a good thing. And I don't think we've gotten any less distracted being home during COVID either, by the way. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree. With that. Let me ask you this then, looking forward focuses on the future and we try to put a positive spin on it, which is why we're looking forward. But before we do that, though, we first like to look backwards a little bit. So as far as you know, when, by whom, and where was the concept of time management first introduced in a widespread way? Well, that is a really interesting question. And I think part of what you have to think about when you think about that is sort of what I think about as the people that made the biggest contributions to time management. Does that okay. make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like if you think about, let's, I'll go back in time in a minute, but if you just think about David Allen, right? David Allen took the whole idea of time management, you know, with getting things done and he moved it forward hugely, right? He was a, he was a game changer for time management in the last 20, 25 years because he started to show people it was really about having a system that let you track everything that you were doing so that things weren't just out there randomly. 
So, you know, there's, there have been people along the way that have really changed the nature of how we think about time management. So, I mean, that's like the first thing that I would say is that it isn't, I don't think one person, there's been a group of people over time that you can look back and you can say, those people made a really, a really big difference. So, but let me just give you a couple of other people. So, I mean, classic Abraham Maslow, you know, the psychologist who wrote that paper, A Theory of Human Motivation. Sure. He was one of the first people to talk about how these, these human needs are in a hierarchy. And that I think how people often would prioritize their time according to those things they wanted to accomplish in their life, right? Yes. And so that hierarchical view inspired something that was called the POSEC method, P-O-S-E-C. And that was that you prioritize your time according to the goals you want. You organize yourself by structures that allow you to meet your basic needs and feel stable. You streamline the things you have to do, but don't necessarily like to do, like chores. You economize by reducing the amount of time and energy you invest in things that aren't urgent. And you contribute by giving your time and energy back to the community. That whole model really came from Abraham Maslow. You know, that was in the 40s, right? In the 40s, okay. The 40s. But then if you look at sort of the next leap forward in time management, I think one of the people that really made a difference was Stephen Covey, you know, in his First Things First book. Yes. Because he really introduced this idea of, it isn't just the time you spend, it's where you spend that time. It's how you spend that time, right? And he particularly brought that thinking into business and the way businesses think about what they're doing. So I think Stephen Covey is somebody who really moved things forward. We talked about David Allen and, you know, he, his work was in, I think his book was in 2001. So, you know, we've been living for almost 20 years with some of those ideas that he brought about. But, you know, you can go even further back. You can go like all the way to 1897 with a guy named Vilfredo Pareto, who is known for the Pareto principle, which is basically the 80-20 principle. That is what the Pareto principle is. Yes. Right? Which is that 80, for example, 80% of your goals are achieved by working on 20% of your tasks. So, you know, if you go all the way back to 18, you know, 97, you've got these ideas about things like the 80-20 principle. And then if you bring it, you know, sort of fully forward, I would say Tim Ferriss with his book, The 4-Hour Work Week, was really the beginning of this idea of digital nomads and people working in a non-traditional time way. That's like a, that was a brief history of time management. I think you did it and you did it in good time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is going to now get a little bit deeper, okay? So what would you say are a few of the significant time management changes that we've seen these experts and other experts espouse over the past several decades. And I mean, you're going back, this is pre-COVID now I'm talking, and you're going back as far as Maslow and a, a Pareto back, you know, even before then. What, are, what have been some of the real kernels of wisdom that these individuals, just a few of them maybe, have brought? Um, that, yeah, have, have espoused? What, what have they been preaching? Well, I mean, if you think about the Pareto principle, I mean, this 80-20 rule to me is still as true today as it was then, you know, in the 1800s. I mean, you're talking about how much time, do you, let's just take it and put it in a branding and marketing context, right? Probably 80% of your business, or, you know, comes from 20% of your clients, yet people call me all the time and tell me how they're wasting all this time on clients that aren't really good clients, but they take up most of their energy. 
So, you know, the 80-20 rule, I think, is something that is still really with us today. And I think it has a very relevant relationship with how we spend our time today, whether it's on marketing, branding, business development, anything. So I think 80, yeah. the 80-20 rule is as true today as it was then. That's just yeah. one example. With David Allen, I mean, what I love about David Allen and I still love about David Allen is he really realized that the magic is in capturing everything. Because instead of these things floating around in your head with you going, oh my God, I got to remember to do this. I got to remember to do that. By having a system to capture everything, you actually give yourself the opportunity to let your brain have more space available to focus on what's in front of it. And, and that is still as powerful today as it was 20 years ago when he started promoting the concept. Okay. Any others? I mean, you mentioned Stephen Covey. You mentioned a more recent. Well, uh... I think Stephen Covey's genius that's still with us today is this idea of the difference between things that are important and things that are urgent, right? So we all know about things that are urgent. Like my, my credit card was stolen or compromised. I'm not sure how you say it. All I know is I got a call last week from the credit card company saying, hi, we just wanted to check. Did you order groceries in Estonia? Oh, and I said, Estonia, the country? They said, yes. I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So my credit card was stolen. So I immediately had to contact a few places where that credit card gets used for automatic payments, right? My phone, other things, because otherwise those things start to not get paid and then it's a problem. Then I have to do it in an emergency. Those items became urgent. Were they important? They weren't really important in the sense of that they moved me forward towards any main goals that I have. They certainly weren't as important as finishing the book proposal for my next book, my 11th book, oh right? Yes. But they were urgent. And I think Stephen Covey's genius and what's still with us today from Stephen Covey is this idea that things can be urgent, but not important. And they can be important, but not urgent, or they can be urgent and important. But we often make a mistake and think that because things are urgent, that therefore makes them important. Right. Now you had alluded to this, Karen, and I want you to come back to it now, maybe elaborate a little bit more. Right now, we're still in the throes of COVID-19. And hopefully, hopefully sometime this year, maybe life will be restored to a somewhat more normal state. I know that's going to take quite a long time. It's not just going to happen in 2022. But given that, what impact would you say that COVID-19 has had on how we manage our time and the interest in your topic today, which is the management of our time or the management of our focus, whatever it might be. Well, you know, I mean, as I said, I think what COVID's been mostly is an accelerant. I don't know that COVID necessarily created a change that wasn't already in progress, but it definitely did accelerate it. So think about this. Think about the way everybody, the time it used to take to go to a conference. You have to book the room, you have to book the flight, you have to get on the flight, you have to go on the flight, you have to go to the conference, you're there for a week or three days or two days, you're there all day, then you got to fly home, then you got to catch up from everything while you were gone. So the physical act of going to a meeting or a conference takes a lot of time, right? There's a lot of travel time and prep time. I don't think conferences are going away. I think when COVID's, you know, we get a little bit better hand on, handle on it. I believe that people like to be with people. There's, It's not the same doing everything online. I think people will end up going back and doing things face-to-face. -face. But I think what COVID showed us is that 
every single meeting does not have to be done face to face. So I think one of the big changes with COVID is that we've started to have this hybrid model of meetings. And I don't think it'll ever go back. I think virtual used to be an or, like where you would do live or virtual. And I think what COVID did is that it made virtual an and. So that we now have something that will always have this, you know, this combo, uh, this hybrid happening. And I don't, I don't ever see that changing ever. I don't see it ever going back the other way. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Continue, though. I, I really like that point. There's two really gigantic changes from COVID in, in terms of work and time. And I think one is the time we spend in meetings and conferences and whether they're live or virtual and it being more of a hybrid. I think that's one major change. And then the other major change is I think you really are going to see a model where people working more from home and less in an office, it doesn't mean they'll never go into their office. Maybe they go into their office two days a week or three days a week. But I think everybody has seen from this that, yep, pretty much people can work from home, even doctors. I mean, look how many doctors are doing telemedicine. It doesn't mean you don't ever have to go in and see your doctor. Of course, you have to go see your doctor sometimes for a physical exam, but there's also a number of things that can be handled over the phone. And so I think what we're seeing is I think we're going to see, again, a hybrid where people don't really go into their office nine to five, five days a week anymore. I think we're going to see a permanent change to that. Those are and, and that requires people to learn new time management skills because it really is different managing your time when you're working from home than it is managing your time if you're in, a, in an office environment all the time. That's what I was going to ask you as a follow-up. You really anticipated it, which is I know years ago when I worked as an independent consultant out of my house, and that was kind of unusual back then, it was very hard for me to quote unquote, close shop, but being married, that made it a little bit easier. At this point in my life, I'm alone and it's still somewhat difficult to close shop when I'm just here. And I'm thinking of other people who could be like I am, they may be married and their spouse is there or they have little children, and we know that's been a challenge who are at home or come home at 3.30. Doesn't COVID kind of exacerbate the challenge of addressing this business of managing time? I think there's no doubt about that. And almost every single person I've spoken to has said to me that one of the changes they've noticed is that the boundaries around work and the hours around work have really shifted. Now, what's interesting is like somebody said to me, I just work all the time. Then what they said is, I don't mean that I don't have time off. It's just that if I used to have my hours were between, you know, eight and seven, now I might take the morning off and go for a walk, but then I'll work in the evening. So I think what it's done is it's really accelerated what used to be called flex time. That is, I think, a big change because I know it's true for me. I mean, listen, I've worked from home for almost a decade now. So when COVID hit, that was not a big change for me. I was like, yeah, I always work from home. What is a change, though, is sometimes I won't work half a day. I'll be doing something else, but then I'll start work at two or three in the afternoon and maybe I'll work, you know, until 11 or 12. So I think the flex hours are really what one of the big changes has been for people. Because, you know, if your kids are there and you want to be with your kids for a period of time during the day, 
your employer doesn't care if you get your job, unless you have to sit on Zoom calls all day long, right? Right, right. But, you know, you're, which, by the way, I think, you know, people should not be on Zoom calls all day long, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, you know, your em employer doesn't care as long as you get, or they shouldn't care as long as you get your work done. And so I think we're also seeing this really big change where when people work is being more self-determined as long as they get the work done. And so it's interesting because it sounds like it's the two-sided coin in that it's a good thing now that many people in one sense have more control over their time. But on the other hand, when they have more control over their time, it puts the responsibility on them to figure out how they're going to manage that time, right? Absolutely. And look, how many, we, we've all worked in offices at one point in our careers. How many people sit in the office and don't really get that much done in the office, but they can say, well, I was there. Right. <laughs> that's true. You have this book that's come out, No Nonsense Time Management, 50 Ways to Hack Your Time and Get Everything Done. I would love to have you share a few of those great tips with people Maybe things that would be newer, like not necessarily something that Stephen Covey had to say. It might be based on that or Pareto or David Allen. If you could share with us a few of those, I have to make sure that our listeners get some of your great wisdom in terms of how do we improve our focus and improve our time management? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things is, I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, video conferencing, right? Yes. Because I think video conferencing can be fantastic, but I also think it can be a ginormous waste of time mm. depending on what people are doing and how they're they're using it, right? So I think I think video conferencing is a really important piece of it's it's become a new area of time management that people did not have before. And so, you know, because everybody, anybody that's ever sat in an airport terminal for three or four hours waiting for the weather to clear so they can take a flight yeah. knows the travels become difficult. So video conferencing is even more popular. And that's why I said, even when we get back to normal, I think we're still going to have a lot of video conferencing because I think people have seen it's easier in some cases than traveling. So here's some of the things that really suck up time on video conferencing. You okay. ready? Yeah. And now this is so obvious, but one of the biggest video conferencing time management issues is that people don't test the connections prior to the start of the session. So you get everybody on the session and then you have to wait for all the people that don't know how to use it or haven't tested it for them to get their technology together. And so everybody's time is wasted and people are irritated. Yes. That is not uncommon, unfortunately. That I've experienced that. I know most of us have. So, yes. you know, so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is, so I think it's, it's, and these are again, really simple, but test before you talk, right? Make sure that you've got things going. So you're not making people wait because that is become a really big problem in terms of video conferencing is other people having to wait, including don't be late for the video conference. Yes. It's just a video conference, but that would be like showing up late for the meeting. Yes. And Karen, if I could stop you for one second, when you say video conferencing, just to clarify, you're talking about things like Zoom and Skype? Yes, I'm talking about Zoom. I'm talking about Skype. I'm talking about, you know, go to meeting, anything okay. where you've got audio or it could just be audio only, but where you're having a meeting, but it's by video or audio conference. Okay. 
The other thing is, and again, these are so simple, but people don't do these. You have to make mute your default because dogs barking in the back room or talking from the adjacent office or the air conditioning whooshing away can be very, very distracting and can steal focus and make yes. things take longer, right? Yes. So having mute as your default. This one's interesting to me, but I think this one's really important. It's also having someone lead the video conference. You know, you want to assign somebody to be in charge of that meeting and leading that meeting just in the same way you would if it was a meeting that was face-to-face. -face. And you want to do all the normal things you would do for a face-to-face -face meeting. You want to give people an agenda that says what the purpose of the meeting is, what the agenda is, what the time limits are. You want to give people a chance to speak, but in an organized way, right? Yes. And then this one's going to sound a little weird, but I always tell people you should take the video out of video conferencing. <laughs> so even though it might seem counterintuitive, there's a lot of recent research that has highlighted that the kind of intense emotional focus that people are required to do to pay attention on video calls, if they do that continuously, continuously staring is actually more fatiguing than if you're in a room doing it. So I tell people don't make video mandatory. If you don't need to have the visual part, don't have the visual part. That is very interesting. I want to ask you, though, as you're talking about this, probably a more fundamental question. Sometimes you'll hear from people, and those people, by the way, could include me. I could be on the front end or the receiving end, okay? And they'll say, you want to have a Zoom call or do you want to have a phone call? Is there some sort of time management lesson or principle that you espouse about how do you decide I want to meet with Karen on a Zoom call. Nah, I'd rather just talk to her first. Well, I often tell people we're going to do a Zoom call, but it's going to be an audio only Zoom call so that I can record it and have the transcript if we're going to, if it's something I need. I mean, I disclose to the person I'm recording it. Yeah. If it's something I might need the transcript for because that also can save time. So a phone call and a Zoom call are the same thing. It's just that you're doing a Zoom call without video. So they're, you know, they're either one. I think what's important is to designate. I have a, an interview tomorrow and I emailed, the, I'm on a podcast tomorrow and okay. I emailed the person and I said, it's a Zoom call, but you didn't mention if it was audio only or audio and video, because if it's audio only, I won't take the time to do my hair and makeup. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is a big time suck. And the person said, no, 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 it's audio only. And I was like, great. Because, you know, if I don't have to take the time to do my hair and makeup, Fantastic. Right. Now, one thing there, I want you to know you annoyed me because you said you're going to be on another podcast. And I thought our contract said you would only be on mine, but that's okay. Sorry. That's okay. I'll be able to deal with it. The other thing that you said there that is terrific, I never thought about this. If I'm having an important conversation with somebody about some business matter, and it could even be personal business. If you can do it on a platform, let's say like Zoom or I guess Skype, I'm more into Zoom these days, you can record it. You should tell them, I agree, but I never even thought to do that. So that's a great tip right yeah, there. Yeah, you know, I record them and then I just send them to Otter and they get transcribed for free. And then I've got content right there and it saves me a lot of time. I think that's a great idea. If you could talk a little bit about the other gorilla in the room, emails. What do you suggest about emails? Oh, God, emails are such a pain. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing about email. The problem with email is, remember how I was talking about David Allen and capturing everything? Yes. 
what happens is people use their email as their capture tool by default. So they just let the email sit in there until they get to handle them. But the problem with that is that's how you end up with a thousand emails in your inbox and you can't see or find anything anyway. So as a capture tool, email's really not very effective. So the key with email is to move things, like just consider it a temporary holding place and to move things through the system as quickly as possible. So for example, I get my email to zero at least every couple of days to once a week, I get my email inbox to zero. Wow. And here's how I do it. I look at every item and I say, okay, I need to make a decision on this item. And the decision is either, this looks interesting, but Lord knows I'm never going to do it. I'm going to delete it, right? Boom, just get rid of it. Two, this is an interesting item, but it's not something I should do. I really should have my assistant do it. I'm going to delegate it and I will then forward it to her. And then I will drag that email into a file on my email with her name and I stick it in there. Right. So now I've delegated it. So it's out of my e email inbox. Okay. Okay. And the third thing is I think, you know what, this item is something I should do. And honestly, it will only take me a minute to get it done. So I'm just going to do it right now. I'm just going to go through and do a bunch of those little things I can do. Okay. Then I know I need to do this, but I don't have the time to do it now. It really needs to be deferred. So I have another file called to be handled and I pull those into the to be handled file. And at the same time, I use a system called Todoist, which is just a to-do list manager. And I add it as an item to the to-do list manager. So now I've captured it, but I'm not using my email inbox as the default capture system. Hmm. To-do list manager. Now that's an interesting thing I'd never heard of. To-doist. To-doist is what Oh, to-do, to-doist. I never heard of that. That's very interesting. Now, the only thing I would ask you about as a follow-up to that would be, it's nice if you have a personal assistant, but what about many people who don't? They're it. But almost everybody can have a virtual assistant who does a couple of hours a week for them. Okay. So I think most people I know use some form of virtual assistant, you know, and if you don't, then you're just, then there isn't anybody to delegate it to. It just goes into your to be done deferred pile and you mark it down. Okay. Now I want to have you look forward. So looking forward, I would like you to talk about once we hopefully get beyond this pandemic, what trends or changes do you think we may see in the way people manage their time? And again, I know I'm a little bit uneasy when I say manage time. We've talked about that before, but manage their focus, manage how they decide what they're going to do. What changes do you see that might be coming down the pike? Maybe it's even a device or a software or an app or something, whether it's due to COVID or not. What do you see over, let's say, the next five years, maybe, Karen, or so? Well, I mean, I think this trend of working from home is going to continue. And I think people are going to have to learn a new skill set of how you work from home and keep your focus. If you're working from home and every five minutes, the dog or the kid or your spouse comes in, you're going to have a problem or every, you know, or you go, oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go make a sandwich. You know, if you, you're going to, people are going to have to learn a new way of staying focused and working from home. I think that's one really big skill set that yep. people are going to need to continue to develop because it is a skill set and it is a different skill set. So I think that's one there's no point talking about work-life balance anymore because there's no such thing because everything's all mushed together. 
So it's really, you're going to have to find that balance in terms of how you manage yourself in terms of your focus, your energy, your time, et cetera, in terms of when you work and when you don't. So I think that's a whole learning curve. Most people or a lot of people are going to have to go through. That's one thing. I think in the next five years, what you're also going to see is people sifting and sorting out how does it work to manage time and communication when a third of your people come into the office every day because they have to, a third of your people never come into the office and a third of your people come into the office sometimes, but then a third of your people don't even live near the office. I mean, I think all of this remote working is something that people are going to have to work out. And that by its nature does also have an impact with time. Yes, absolutely. One thing I want to ask you about, and this may be difficult for you to pinpoint, and it doesn't have to be the right and perfect answer. It's whatever comes to your mind now, Karen. What do you think is the biggest mistake that people make? I guess we're talking about people who are in the working world, but it doesn't even have to be. It could even be a mistake they make in their private life, whether they're working in white collar work or blue, whatever. What do you think is the biggest mistake that if people would just learn to do this, boy, it would have a positive impact on their life? I think the biggest thing, and we talk about this in the book, is I think that people create a huge amount of incompletion for themselves and for other people. So mm. here's what I mean by that. You call me up, you're a potential client, and you ask me to give you a proposal, and I spend 45 minutes talking with you on the phone, right? And that's or 30 minutes or 20 minutes, but that's still my time. And then I take the time to write a proposal, and I send you the proposal, and I say, great, just let me know either way, and you never let me know. So then I have to email you. Hey, did you get that proposal? Did you have any questions? Then I don't yes. hear from you. Then I have to email you again. All it would take is one single line that says, Karen, thanks for the proposal. I decided to move in another direction. Yes. So people create a huge amount of incompletion for themselves and other people by not closing loops. And if people would just learn to close the loops and be more considerate about closing the loops, it would take up a lot less of people's focus and time. I'll give you another example. I hire you to do uh, some decorating for me, to do some remodeling for me, and you have to give me you know, architectural plans. And you say, okay, I'll get you those architectural plans, Karen, by Tuesday night. Tuesday night comes and goes, I don't have the architectural plans. Wednesday comes and goes, I don't have the architectural plans. Now I have to email you. It's the burden is on me to email you now and go, hey, where's my architectural plans? Yeah. You don't get back to me. Finally, you get back to me on Thursday and you go, oh, I'm sorry, I got really busy. Okay, but guess what? You just created a whole lot of work and incompletion in my space because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. And you didn't tell me that you weren't going to do what you said you were going to do on top of it. Yeah. So people create a huge amount of incompletion by not doing what they say they're going to do, right? By yeah. not keeping their time agreements, by not closing the loop. And they create incompletion for themselves and for other people. And that takes everyone's time and focus and attention, even if it's just subconscious. And if I had a magic wand and I could stop anything, that's what I would stop. I couldn't agree more with that. And I would say, trying to be as objective as I can, which isn't easy, I feel like I have way more often than not been the victim of that, where I ask somebody, would you be willing to do this? And it's usually a positive thing that I'm asking this person and they cannot answer me. They will, they will not answer me. And I have written to people and said, listen, 
if you don't want to do it, it's fine. No. I'm yeah. okay. I'm old enough. I can deal with that. Just let me know and I'll move on. People just don't seem to want to close the loop. It seems to me common courtesy to do that. I completely agree with that. So that's the one thing that if I, I really think if people did would make a huge difference, huge, enormous. I think people don't realize how much time and energy gets spent on managing those kinds of incompletions. This is great, by the way. Oh, thank you. I've heard a couple of terms being used in recent years by people who are also very much focused on time management. They have concepts that I think are very interesting, and I'm wondering if you have any opinions about the concepts. The one concept is time blocking, blocking out time to do something, which relates to another concept, which is called deep work. Mm -hmm. What, if anything, do you have to say about those two concepts and their relevance with regard to dealing with your time and with the things that you are espousing? Well, I mean, we talk about time blocking in the book. I think time blocking is really important. And, you know, for people that are listening that may not know what that is, yes, it's where you basically go, okay, for example, I've got to write a report for this person, or I've got to do this piece of work. I'm going to literally go into the calendar and I'm going to block out between nine and 10. And all I'm going to do is focus on that. I'm going to turn off all the phones. I'm going to turn off all the dings. I'm not going to get distracted by anything. I'm going to solely focus on that. And what the time blocking does is it allows you to get into doing work at a deeper level. Because I think the thing people don't realize is focus is not an instantaneous experience. It isn't that I go, okay, I'm going to work on this project now. And then boom, the minute I sit down to work on it, it's like sleep. I'm not in this deep state of focus the minute I close my eyes. You know, right. you're not in this deep state of sleep the minute you close your eyes. Good point. And so it takes a while to get in. Then you're in that deep state of focus. And then what happens is it takes a while to come out. And so if you're just going, well, I'm just going to quickly get this done in 15 minutes and super focus, hyper focus, that rarely works. Yeah. And so time blocking allows you the space to get into that space of deep focus to go have deep focus and then to come out of deep focus. And so I think time blocking from the point of view of deep work is essential. Yes. I thought that it would be something that would resonate with you and probably something that you covered in your book too, because it seems to be a very practical, although sometimes hard to do approach, but very relevant for our time. It is relevant for our time. And I will tell you the other thing that I experienced, Jeff, is that people really resist that time blocking because they feel like pulled in a million different directions. Yeah. So people go, I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. I've got to get this done. And the truth is you're never going to get everything on your to-do list done in the day. You just yeah. aren't. I don't care how smart or brilliant you are. Yeah. I don't know anyone that gets everything on their to-do list done. Even people that are retired. Somehow people I know that are retired tell me, oh yeah, I just can't get everything done. And I'm like, you're retired. Well, I hope that's making people feel a little bit better because I can tell you, it continues for me to be a work in progress to pinpoint what I realistically can get done in a day. Because if you don't do that, I find personally at the end of the day, I will often feel frustrated. Yeah, it's what I talk about. I actually did a whole video on this on my YouTube channel. I call it the magical thinking of the to-do list. People get into this magical thinking where they go, okay, 
I'm going to get everything on my to-do list done, which of course they're not. And then they feel bad at the end of the day. And what I tell people is you can write as long a to-do list as you want for the day. Just make sure that you've highlighted or you've notated the one to three things that no matter what have to get done. And then as long as you get those done, everything else is, you know, icing on the cake. That's a great way of looking at things. Hopefully the outcome will be that at the end of that day, you won't be focused on the 25 things that you didn't do, but on the three that you said you had to do that you got done. Yeah, because that's another example of where we end up with incompletion because we feel like, oh, I didn't get the thing done and I wanted to get it done and blah, blah, blah. So all we do is create a more incompletion for ourselves by feeling bad that we didn't get something done. And then it's this sort of downward negative spiral. Yes, it sure can be. Okay. What's the best way for our listeners, Karen, to find out more about you and your new book? And there's going to be another book, Sterling Marketing Group, and anything else that you're involved with. Well, the easiest work. way is to go to my website at karenleland.com. It's obviously my name, Karen Leland, L-E-L-A-N-D.com, or Sterling Marketing Group, same site. Go to my website at karenleland.com or Sterling Marketing Group. I have the Thought Talk podcast people can go to, and all my books are on Amazon. So all they have to do is go to Amazon and look up Karen Leland and all my books will come up and people can find them. And then, you know, obviously I have, um, you can also go to YouTube and look up my name. I have videos. So I'm pretty easy to find. If people just put my name in, usually I pop up everywhere and, and it's not bad things either. Okay. One thing, if you could clarify for people, can you say a few words about the Thought Talk podcast? Yeah. So the Thought Talk podcast is a podcast I started about a year and a half ago because I wanted to talk to people that were thought leaders in all these different fields, business, academia, arts, theater, uh, you know, science, music. And so I just started looking for really interesting people that were doing leading edge things. And I started interviewing them. And that's the Thought Talk podcast, the idea behind it. And we talk about everything on that show from a Columbia professor who did research on what makes people more confident to a guy that has revolutionized, his company has revolutionized the way people use lockers, like actual lockers, you know, the way you use in sports and in schools. I've interviewed a Tony award-winning Broadway producers on that show. I've interviewed, you know, John Scully. I've interviewed just a really crazy variety of interesting people, but all of whom are doing something that's at the leading edge of their field. That sounds like a great podcast. And I am going to encourage everybody to not only listen to Looking Forward, but check out the Thought Talk podcast. But don't drop mine for the Thought Talk podcast. Listen <laughs> to both, both. Anyway, Karen, it has been great having you on. You shared some really good insights and tips that I'm sure that our listeners will appreciate. Thanks Oh, again. it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So generous of you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.